Good morning. Hi, my name is Sean, and uh, I am sort of the uh, person coming on as the pastor of Outreach and Evangelism, which is what's happening after church uh, today. That's what the meeting is about. But this morning I have the privilege of preaching, um, but I also have the burden of preaching. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But just so there's no stranger danger, uh, I have, uh, I've been going to Grace Chapel for a few years. And uh, my background is I'm actually a missionary. And so I've traveled all over the United States. I've partnered with churches. I've led mission teams. And... Essentially, I uh, am in a, have an evangelist background, so I have coordinated outreach events to get people to come to a church or to come to um, a Christian band or a speaker that would never go to church, people who are atheistic, people who maybe even hate God, but we coordinate kind of a strategic effort, we bring them in, and so that's my background. I've been doing that for six years, and uh, I am transitioning into doing that locally here at Grace Chapel, and so that's my background, that's who I am. Um, and when I said that I have the privilege of, of preaching this morning, it is. It's a huge privilege to share the Word of God because it's something that is becoming more and more rare in our culture. But it is also, um, it's also a terrible burden, and for me at least, because the Bible says that anyone who preaches or teaches is held to a standard. And so this morning, I want to make it clear that I have no original ideas. I have no cleverness. If I make jokes, it's probably me being nervous, not because I'm a comedian. All right? So just getting that, being straightforward with you. Um, and today, this morning is going to seem really simple, but I want, to, want you to bear with me because we're going to look at, we're going to look at two verses. We're going to zoom out twice. So we're going to look at a verse, then we're going to zoom out and look at it in the context of the whole Bible. Then we're going to zoom out again and look at it in the context of our entire life. So, um, it's kind of funny. Eddie, the drummer, I told him I was going to use him as a sermon illustration, but he said, um, he said, you know, he asked me the other day, uh, have you, have you preached before? And without even thinking or skipping a beat, I said, oh yeah, I preach all the time, you know, because I've, I've traveled around. So as soon as I said it, I realized what I had done. So since that day, I've been trying to lower everyone's expectations. So this is the reason that this intro is a little bit longer. Like I'm trying to really lower your, your opinion of me. Um, so it's, it's Grace Chapel, not Justice Chapel. That's the point that I'm trying to make. Be gentle. So uh, this morning, the sermon series is called Breathing Room, Creating Margin for What Really Matters. Last Sunday, Pastor Drew gave a, kind of an application sermon. So if you remember, he said that uh, breathing room, right? Taking that breath, actually stopping and actually taking that moment that is available to us with God. Prayer doesn't cost anything, thankfully. And so this week, what I really want to highlight is the last part of that sentence. What really matters? What really matters? And like I said, it's going to feel simple, but I want you to hang with me. So I'm going to give you a verse, but I am not. I don't want to put it up on the screen. I don't want you to read it yet. All right. But you can turn there and just hold your thumb as a placeholder. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. That's how this is going to go. I want to set the stage first. That way we're not reading the verse out of context. Deuteronomy 6. This is the last book of the books of Moses, right? So this is Moses wrote it. Moses is talking to the Israelites later in his life. And Moses, he's sort of recounting everything that the Israelite people have been through. So he's kind of going through um, kind of the history, right? So God has shown favor to us. He set us out as his people, right? Uh, God has made promises. There's the old covenant. He's established a covenant with us, right? God has displayed mercy 
in their situation. As the Israelites were persecuted, God has shown mercy to them. He's rescued them out of that persecution, hence delivering them out of the hands of the Egyptians. God has provided for their needs as he did in the wilderness. And he's given them step-by-step instructions for his will, which is where you get the Ten Commandments. And then later you get a whole list of other commandments, which we will get to. But in Deuteronomy 6, the verse we're getting ready to read, Moses, he's culminating to the central point, And this is what he says. He's, this, is, this is sort of a huge moment. And you, it, you, it may fly right by you if you're just kind of reading it and you don't take a moment and stop. But this verse, Moses is saying, he's saying, but if there's one thing, if there's one thing to never forget, if there's one thing to never ignore, to never disobey, it's this. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, And with all your might. Moses is saying the thing that matters more than anything else is this. The greatest commandment. The most amazing part of this verse is one word. Your. Your. This was a revolutionary thing for Moses to say. Here's why. In that time, people had gods. Right? They had different kinds of gods. They had gods made of wood. They would carve them out of stone. They had temples built to these gods. They had a god of the sun. They had a god of nature. They had all these different gods. But what Moses is saying, he's saying two things. One, he's saying the Lord your God is one. And so Moses is saying this God, this God that we, he was rescued us, shown us favor, who has walked with us, who has fed us in the wilderness. This God, he's the living God. He's the one God. But then the word your And this was the really revolutionary part. Because this God was their God. And this is what God is saying through Moses. This is essentially what God is saying through Moses. He's saying to his people, there's no one else out here. There's no one else. There's no one else here. It's just me. And you are mine. That's what God is saying. That's why this was a revolution. Not only is there a God, but that this true living God is relational with people. So this was a huge thing that Moses is saying. In the original Hebrew, this is really cool, I think, but the original word, right, it literally translates God of us. And so this is kind of a, just track with me, this is kind of a mind-blowing thing. Um, in the context of this being a commandment, right? Moses is saying this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In the context of this being a commandment, we have to zoom out to see it in the context of the larger Bible. Because it feels simple. Right now it feels simple. Moses goes on and he begins kind of um, sharing his sermon and, and kind of teaching from this point. But if we zoom out a little bit, um, we can see kind of a bigger context to what's, what's really being said. So, um, in the Old Testament, you have lots of commandments. You have 613, actually. In the Old Covenant, God gives these instructions to the Israelites. 613 laws, right? And so when we think of the word law, when we think of law in our culture, if, which often happens, we see the word law in the Bible, and then we, in today's time, kind of project our definition of it back then, but it's a little different. These laws weren't necessarily a moral law. It wasn't... 
It wasn't just about good and bad. But these laws, the primary purpose was to distinguish between God's people and everybody else. And that's, that's key. The primary purpose of these laws, so things like not eating pork, uh, washing the inside and the outside of a pot. If you read the Old Testament, you see a lot of these things, and you're like, what in the world? You know, That's what that was. It, was. it was a series of step-by-step instructions. God broke it down. He made it as simple as possible. And so it was to distinguish between the Israelites, God's people, and everyone else. Um, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, fast forward, you get... Uh, a group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were scholars of this law. And so I'm going to give you another passage that you can hold a placeholder at. It's Matthew 22. I won't tell you the verse yet. Matthew 22, just put your finger in it. In the New Testament, you have Pharisees who were scholars of this law. And the Pharisees, uh, one of them in this passage was a lawyer. And so this Pharisee, he's going to, he's getting ready to ask Jesus a loaded question. But just so you have context about what this question really, really is asking, um, so that you can almost get a feel for the heart, not just what the words he's saying. Um, the Pharisees had this tradition of weighing those laws, those 613 commandments. They would weigh them. Which ones were light, which ones were heavy. So, example, tithing fresh herbs and spices. It's kind of chill. It's like kind of a light commandment. Uh, killing a guy because you want his sandals, heavy. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, and if that's not clear, we should talk. Uh, we do have prayer later, but they would weigh them like that. And so this Pharisee, this lawyer, he speaks up Matthew 22, and in verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asks him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this is a loaded question. In their tradition of weighing laws, this guy just gets right to the point and he says, Hey, Jesus, what's, what's the top? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, because he's awesome, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus does not give them a new philosophy. He doesn't start a new religion. He doesn't give him a new idea. He doesn't say anything super clever or anything like that. Jesus quotes Moses. Quotes Moses. He tells them what they already know. And when Jesus is saying, whenever he says that, he's, he's not just kind of answering a question like a test. Jesus is saying something pretty big. He's essentially telling the Pharisees, you've been weighing these laws and you've missed the point, right? So in the context, you've been creating margin through all these laws. You've been compartmentalizing some, you've been organizing others, you've been creating space between them. These are important. These are not so important so that there's sort of this hierarchy, right? And Jesus says, well, the commandment, right, the the one that's most important, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, do it. Like Jesus is saying, you've, you've spent all this time looking at the lines and you've missed seeing the picture. Sort of that phrase, we've missed the forest for the trees. That's what Jesus is telling them. Jesus quotes Moses. He puts it into the debate. No more studying, no more weighing, none of that. Um, in the context then of creating margin for what really matters, it's easy to get ambiguous about what that means. It's easy because this is so, it feels, it sounds so simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Feels simple. 
And I'm talking to myself. This entire week, as I've studied, as I've, as I've prepared, as I've prayed, it feels simple. That's what I've struggled with most, is I'm like, this, this seems obvious, right? For a Christian going to church, does anybody hate God? You know, if you, if you hate God, you, that's kind of hard to be a Christian. It's kind of hard to go to church. And so I'm like, it feels kind of, why does this have to be said, right? And so the deeper I began to dig, the more I began to zoom out, some pretty crazy things began to reveal themselves. If it was so simple, we would do it. Now listen to what I'm saying. If it was so simple and so obvious, we would do it. But here's the context. There was not a single moment, there was not a single second, in the 33 years that Jesus lived, there was not a single moment that Jesus did not love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, and might. There was literally nothing that Jesus loved more than God in every single second of his life at any point. Not for a second. Jesus did it. And if we were to ask ourselves this question by Jesus' measure, it only takes one moment. It only takes one second for us in our entire life to love something more than God, to render us sinful. If it was so simple, we would do it. So that started making me think twice. Started making me think twice about you know, well, is this obvious? Is it, is it too straightforward? What really struck me was reading the archaeology of the Bible. And so I'm a nerd. I'll be honest, right? I love theology. I love reading. I've got, I, I, this is no joke. I have like six Bibles and they're all different and they're all ESV, but they're like archaeology and then theology and then, you know, so I'm reading all this stuff and I'm just soaking it all in. And uh, as I'm doing this, there were two really interesting things that I saw. The, the Israelites, when they heard Moses say this verse, right? Um, in the earliest passages, this, this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, that it doesn't really show it in the Bible, but this verse, um, Moses and then the scribes, they, they sort of did the equivalent of what we do when we put something in bold or we highlight it, right? They would capitalize the first letter and the last letter of the, of the, of the first word in the sentence, last word in the sentence. It's, compl- it's complicated. Don't worry about it. But they put it in bold, right? And so this, in the original text, in the original versions of the Bible, this was like, boom. This was a big verse. And the Israelites, they took it literally, and they took it to an extreme. So they would do this practice where they would have like leather straps, they'd wrap it on their arm, they'd take the text from this verse, they'd put it in a little box, and so it would sort of be like a belt with a little box on it, you'd, you'd wear it all day, right? This verse is called the Shema, and so this is a, this is a famous critical verse, they would recite it twice daily, and then, here's the thing, they, didn't, they wouldn't just say it while they were, while they were walking, they would take a moment, they would stop and take their breathing room and they would say this, they would recite it. They'd listen to themselves. Then they had this other practice called mezuzah. This one I really like. really like this one. Mezuzah. So they would take one of these boxes, they'd take the verse, put it in the box, you know. Then they would take it and it'd be like a metal thing. They'd put it on the doorpost on the right side as you'd walk into their house. So it'd be like at the threshold. And so I was thinking about, that would be really cool if we did that today, you know, like, I, like what if I got some red spray paint and I spray painted, love thy neighbor, 
on my neighbor's door with a big arrow, you know? So every time that I came home, I'd be like, I gotta love that guy. He's a jerk, but I gotta love him, you know? And so I'd have this big reminder to do that. Um, but I live in apartments and they have my security deposit. So I'm not. There's that. Um, so that's what they would do. They took this stuff literally. I mean, the Israelites, it wasn't just an idea floating around in their head, you know. It wasn't just something they wrote kind of in the, the margin of their Bible. I mean, this, this became a part of their everyday life for a thousand years, you know. And Moses even told them to do that. Moses was so intense about it. He says, don't ever forget, don't ever, don't ever ignore, don't ever disobey. Teach your children's children and their children. Teach it throughout generations, this one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus quotes it later. Back to the law and religious scholars. It must be important. So we have this super important commandment. Seems straightforward. Israelites treat it very extreme. So let's zoom out some more and now look at this in the context of our life, right? In our culture, in our everyday, day-to-day life. Margins. This word margins, which is what the sermon series is about, margins. Um, the edges or borders of something, right? Or it's, it's the kind of the space between something. Uh, it's a tool. Margins are a tool. And it's a tool that God has used a lot. It's a tool God has used a whole lot. In the beginning of time, God, he makes margins as, as a form of creating. And so God separates um, heaven and creation, right? He separates land, water. He separates light, dark. And then ultimately, he, he, he draws this margin between people and animals. And he decrees to all creation, come this far and no further. Let's read in Job chapter 38. This is one of my favorite passages. And I'm only going to read a little bit, but it is one of my favorite passages. Job chapter 38. It's right in the middle, before Psalms. I'm going to read in verse 4. If you have a Bible, read along. And if you don't have a Bible, just listen very intently to this. This is God talking. This is not anybody talking on behalf of God. This is God talking directly to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band... And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. That's a God talking. God, who is so eloquent, he literally is telling Job, this is what I did. I drew lines. I created the margins but with people, he did something unique. He did something with, with us that he didn't do with everything else. God gave us freedom. He gave us free will. He gave us the, the ability to cross some of those lines. And so people, we have a foot both in creation, but we also have a foot in the spiritual. We're spiritual beings. So we're formed of the dust, right? 
But God breathed into us. We are made in his likeness. And so we are both part of creation, but we are also spiritual beings. And this is important because it allows us to cross some of those margins. So God measures out creation according to these margins. He gives us the ability to cross some of them. And then he sets out a chosen people to be his. And then he establishes a covenant and gives them instructions. He doesn't force them to stay in the lines. He gives them instructions. This is how you stay in the lines. And so he prescribes margin for the nation. And then over time, he prescribes margin to the individual. Both in their actions and in their hearts through these commandments. So the world... The world, the place that we live in, the context, when we zoom out and we look at day-to-day life, where we're at now, not back then, but now, the world measures and they set margins according to a totally different set of circumstances. The world measures failure and success. It's the margin between failure and success, right? The world would measure it by fame or um, finance or achievement, right? And then we, we personally, we have ideas and philosophies about morality, right? And so we kind of, we measure margins between morality based on really general terms like good and bad or love and hate. And the Bible gets really, really specific, but we sort of, this is us, this is us, this is the world, this is the place we live in. It's very general and we sort of measure between these margin points with a lot of these superficial things. There are people that look like pastors who preach in buildings that look like churches. And then they kind of set margins on how to, do, to measure between your spiritual life by how prosperous you are. Or how much influence you have. Or how, how much more often God has said yes than no. The greatest commandment is not merely a rule. This is sort of the point that I'm getting to, that this commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, it's not merely a rule. And if you see it that way, it feels obvious. But it's not merely a rule, but it's evidence that somebody truly understands what really matters. The Lord, our God, is good, holy, perfect, just, love. And we use those words as adjectives to describe them. We say God is loving, God is just, God is holy. But the reality, the Bible says that God's the source of those things. He's the very definition. So they're not really adjectives, they're more like synonyms. God is love itself. God is justice itself. And so to measure God alongside something else, it doesn't really make any sense. He can't. That's, that's what the word holy means. God is fully unique. He can't be compared and contrasted with anything. We can. And so he is the only source of value. He is the only one worthy. The most important thing, then, is not happiness. It's not success. And it's not you. The most important thing is God's glory. That was what he said to Job. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. That's what Moses said to the Israelites. And he says this, he says it elsewhere, because even the worst things, even the worst things, the the most evil things are all rerouted towards God's glory. 
So even, even if you, are, you find yourself pushing back on that, the Bible even says even the worst things, God takes them and reroutes them back to glorify Him. So the truth, the truth about everything I'm saying, this commandment, right? Love the Lord your God. That this, this feels obvious. This seems really simple. But if we kind of go back to what I said earlier about how Jesus, right? He fulfilled this. He fulfilled it utterly. And it really just takes a moment for us to render, render our life sinful by not doing it, right? And so the truth is that our life is going to be measured by the margin between God's love and justice. Not, not success, not achievement, not fame, not failure, none of that. The difference between us being forgiven or condemned in front of God. The difference between salvation of, of, of going to heaven or going to hell, like the difference between, if we're standing there in the margin between it, it's going to be measured by, by whether someone else has fulfilled what you couldn't. See, we tend to create margin and we tend to, to try to read a whole lot. We try to study a whole lot. We, we try to do a lot of good things. And just like the Pharisees, Jesus says, you're so focused on the lines, you're missing the picture. You miss the forest for the trees. And so as we do that and we start mar- creating margins and, and kind of studying and, oh, I'm going to go down this path, we get further away. We get further away and this, there's this space that begins to appear between us and God. If we forget this one thing, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, this space begins to appear between us and God. And so we then try to fill that space with a lot of different things. And everybody has an opinion, everybody has an idea about what to fill that space with. Whether it is the nation, whether it's you individually, or whether it is somebody who purports to be a guru or a philosopher or a Christian speaker. But the truth is, is that the Bible says, God's word, God himself says, that the only thing that can fill that space, the only thing that you can put in that margin between you and God is Jesus. That's what the Pharisees didn't understand. That's what it took thousands of years for the Israelites to understand. Even even when they took it so literally... They still missed it later down the road when Jesus showed up. If you really think about it, if you really take a step back in your life, and you really think in the simplest possible terms, because we don't do that. We think grand scheme a lot. We think in terms of our life over the course of years. Or we think, you know, three-year plan, five-year plan, ten-year plan. We think about what we're going to do when we get older, when we retire. But if you were to really zoom in to your life and you were to think of it in terms of not seconds or any type of measurement other than one, if you thought of your life in terms of moments, this is the reality. This is, this is the harsh reality. We are only ever a moment away from eternity. One. One moment. We have no idea when, we have no idea how. We are only ever one moment away from eternity. If you had one moment and you had to measure that one moment by the one greatest commandment, could you say that that you've loved the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might? 
Because none of us, none of us could say that. If that was, if that was the case, it'd have a bad ending. But that's the point of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled that for us. Jesus met that standard. And so we, moment to moment, can't do that. It's impossible. But Jesus did. And Jesus, when he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he wasn't wasn't being ambiguous. He's being about as straightforward as you can get. Jesus if you put him in the margin, if he is the one standing between you and God, well, then it's as simple as that. It really is as simple as that. I grew up going to a church in the middle of Kentucky, in the middle of nowhere, and um, one of the things that I remember hearing whenever I was young was uh, there was one of, the, one of the adults there, and he used to say, uh, I, I really hope I get to heaven. And I didn't realize until later what was wrong with that. See, he thought that if he were to sin, that he was cut off. So if he were walking down the street and then he got, you know, maybe said, said a, a curse word and then he got hit by a bus, that he would go to hell. And it was, a, it was, it was kind of a misunderstanding of, of sin. It was a misunderstanding of the gospel because he... This person, he was putting something, he was putting his good works in the margin between him and God. And I didn't realize until later that you don't have, you don't have to hope you get to heaven. You, 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 your hope is already invested. You don't have to take any out and reinvest it in other places. It's already invested in Christ. You will go to heaven. And there's assurance in that. He was putting something else in place in the margin between him and God. And so... This, this phrase kind of came about as I went to other churches and I grew up and I would hear this constantly. I would hear this, this really interesting phrase. And then it became kind of a household phrase with my wife and I, right? That so often we think, we think of things backwards. That it's so simple. We oversimplify it and we think of it backwards. We say, we say that we are, um, we're not saved from sin because, uh, because we're good. Does that make sense? We're not saved from sin because we're good. But we're good because we're saved from sin. It's not our good works that are the commandment that gets us to God, but Jesus that gets us to God. And because he did that, this commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, it's not just a commandment, but it's evidence. Because it seems like a pretty reasonable thing to do for a God that not only is there, but chose to love us, chose to set us apart over the course of our history. It seems pretty like a pretty reasonable thing to do, to love him when he died on the cross, seeing us at our worst sin and yet still died on the cross. It's not so much a commandment as evidence of salvation. So if you were to stop, if you were to stop right now, if you were to breathe, take a moment, if you were to look at your life, and if you were to just think in terms of moments, if you were to just think about your life and assess it, have you overcomplicated your life with things that don't matter? They just don't. Or even a harder question, if you were to go deeper than that, have you overcomplicated your life with things that don't matter as much as God? 
Where's he on your list? Is he the first thing you think about when you wake up? Is he the last thing you think about before you go to sleep? I'm terrible at this. I wholeheartedly believe the reason that I'm preaching this right now, if for anything, is so that I can hear myself say it and be disciplined by the Holy Spirit for it. I'm the worst. Have you tried to fill your margins with anything other than Jesus? All the good works we did with, and truths we told will not be weighed with silver and gold, but only a drop of Christ's bloodshed will infinitely outweigh sin and death. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you. God, you are good. You are holy. You are justice. You are love. God, don't let me forget. Don't let me ignore. Don't let me disobey. That you're the only thing of value. That God, even the worst problems, even the worst, the most vile evil, the most vile sin, that all of it is rerouted to your glory. God, that you loved so much you sent Jesus to fulfill a standard I couldn't. God, would you send the Holy Spirit today to counsel and comfort myself, those of us in this room, God, brothers and sisters, or even people that maybe they're not churchgoers, but they came today. God, would you send the Holy Spirit to counsel them? To counsel them and give them rest and hope in Jesus and nothing else. God, would you also send the Holy Spirit to discipline? God, that if it takes writing on Sharpie on your hand, if it takes wearing a, a belt with your words written, God, if it takes nailing it to our doorpost, if it takes writing on a chalkboard and putting it up in our bedroom, God, if it takes whatever it takes to let us not forget, to not ignore, to not disobey, God, the one single true greatest commandment, that it is not the thing that we're measured by, God, but it's the evidence, it's the evidence that Jesus is in the gap between us and you. God, thank you. Thank you, and please be with us the rest of this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.